Oh, thank you, Sam. Um, it's great to pray. Uh, thank you for praying for me. Um, can I just quickly pray for you as well? Is that right? Um, let me do that. Father God, um, we do pray that you would speak uh, to all of us here, um, that you would open our hearts um, to what you have to say. We know that we're uh, coming to this quite removed and quite distant and quite uh, disconnected. Uh, so we pray that you'd speak to everyone today and that we'd hear you speak to us. We pray. Amen. Well, um, yeah, thank you for reading chapter 5, Bethan, um, and not, not sniggering. Um, we are in uh, Joshua, aren't we? And we've been seeing last week that uh, God has given the people confidence in his promise uh, that he is with them. Uh, but it's a confidence that is shown now as they cross through the Jordan. But it's a confidence for when God is going to take uh, the people of the land and conquer the land and give it to them. So it's a now and not yet. It's a confidence that they should have see from these events for the future. Um, I'm sure you didn't come to church expecting today to hear about a whole army being circumcised. No? Anyone? No. I, well, I did, okay? <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be pleased to hear. I, I actually came to church expecting to hear about that. Uh, but I'm sure you didn't. And uh, I'm sure if you've been hearing this story so far, that you wouldn't expect to be hearing this either. If you, even if you've been here and you've heard the story so far, you'll be feeling a bit confused. Well, why? Well, because on all other, account, other accounts, this is a really absurd thing to do. Why? Well, having rescued the people in Egypt, the Lord has led the people through the Jordan. They have entered the land finally that he's promised them. And so this means that they are now in occupied territory for the first time. And from verse 1 of that chapter, we see that actually the people know where they are. Verse 1, as soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. So of all the times to choose to put your entire army out of action for a week, at least, and that's just going by the NHS online advice, okay, um, this isn't the week to choose, yeah? This is not the week to choose. In fact, this seems like the worst time to do that. It seems like the time when you need your army, you need your fighting men. Why? So when you are most vulnerable to attack and most exposed to choose to do this, Yet, to put your entire army out of action is exactly what God is commanding Joshua to do. So let's look at that in verse 2. It says, At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. And actually it's exactly what Joshua went and did. In verse 3 it says, So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. Which, if you're interested to know, the footnote says it's, called, it's Hill of Foreskins. Okay? That's the name, Gibeath Haraloth. Um, sounds like a lovely place. <laughs> um, so that's what God is asking, uh, commanding Joshua to do. And that's what Joshua obeys God and does. And it seems absurd, doesn't it? When they're most vulnerable to attack, when they're most exposed, and yet that's what God commands him to do. Why? 
Well, before Israel sets off into the land, and before they've done anything in the land, God makes two things abundantly clear. The first one is here, that a renewed relationship is essential. And it's a relationship with him. And secondly, that God's ongoing provision can be trusted. So if you're taking notes, those are the two things. A renewed relationship with him is essential. And his ongoing provision can be trusted. Uh, So let's look at the renewed relationship being essential. So both of these things actually are reinforced for Israel. How? Well, they're reinforced by two things. The first one is the circumcision. That's the first experience, if you like. The second experience for Israel is two meals, and that comes in verses 10 to 12. So let's look at the first, uh, first one, circumcision. Why circumcision? It says in verse 4 to 7, it anticipates that we're going to be asking that question. Why circumcision and why now? And the, the, the actual writer gives his own editorial note. He says in verse 4, and this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them, all the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. And actually his explanation goes on to verse 7, all the way down to verse 7. Circumcision was the mark that God had given to Abraham to accompany the promise. So if you want to turn your Bibles uh, back to Genesis chapter 17. Verse 9. Does someone want to read verse 9 through to 11? Who's going to do that? And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Thanks, Kenny. So God gave Abraham a promise that he was going to raise up a people. He was going to give them a land, a place. We saw that, didn't we, in Joshua 1. And with that promise, with that covenant promise that he's making with them, he gave them a mark, a sign of it. And this was a sign that was to be passed on to generation and generation. But despite, actually, between Genesis 17 and this book, Joshua, there's actually not that much mention of circumcision. There's, you, you should do this, but in terms of people actually being circumcised, um, I think the one exception is Zipporah and Moses. Do you remember when Moses was going into Egypt? Uh, He'd been told by God what he had to do. And on the way, his wife had to intervene and quickly circumcise him because he wasn't circumcised. But actually, apart from that time, it seems that this greater reality of relationship with God, shown in that mark of circumcision, has actually been lost. So if you read uh, back in Joshua, chapter 5, if you read from verse uh, 5 onwards... It says this, though all the people who came out of Egypt had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For this, for the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, 
the men of war who came, uh, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would let, not let them see the land that he had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. So it seems that there's this one thing that seems to have been lost for this generation. It was such an important mark of identity with the promise of Abraham, and yet it's going to be completely lost, such that even Israel themselves have not even remembered to circumcise their own children on the eighth day. Yeah? It's been completely gone. So God is choosing now, this very moment, to reinstate that sign, that mark. And, and if you think about what, why, why this is an important moment, then you'll see why. Because this is the point at which God is saying, I have done, I have achieved, I've completed everything that was needed to make you my people. And you're here, experiencing that. It's the direct result of all he has done in saving them. Now there are lots of other signs that people might give themselves. That we might give ourselves to say, well we're, we're counted amongst God's people. So for example we might say, well I go to Beckinger Church. That's the mark I'm going to give myself. And say, I'm, I'm, in, the, I'm in the right group, I'm in the club. Or we might say... Uh, you know, I dress a certain way, or I go to a certain other religious building, or do a, another religious activity. Or maybe it's the things that we say, the words we use. But it's striking that that's not the sign, the mark that God gives to his people. The sign that God gives is this, circumcision. And it points to the need for a, re- a renewed relationship with God. That's what it points to. And it's even despite of a long history of neglect and rebellion against God. And he gives that right at this moment. So the first experience for Israel before they've done anything in the land is to know that an essential, the essential thing is a relationship with God. And he is reinstating that. He's giving them something very, I mean, they're going to remember it for at least 10 days a week. Constant reminder of it. And, and then probably every other day after that. Okay, So this is something that they're not going to forget. Um, so that's the first thing. He's going to show that he's shown them that renewed relationship is, with him is essential. And of all the other things that we might think are going to include us in the promises of God and the future that he has promised, it's only if he starts that relationship, initiates it, that actually it's going gonna, it's gonna to come about. That's what we've been seeing, isn't it, about uh, Israel, is that God just plucks them. He, he, he takes them, he leads them through, and he does everything that is needed for that relationship to start. So it's not dependent on them, really. Um, and then the second thing we're going to see from this is that God's ongoing provision can be trusted. You can't really see that, it's a bit, bit light. There's a, a walled city over here, which is Jericho, and that's the people. And there's some bread and there's some other bread over there, but we'll talk about that in a second. God's provision, and by that I mean him giving them what they need at the stage that they need it, has been demonstrated. How? Well, he's just told them, commanded them to do this, circumcision. And 
that puts them in a really vulnerable place. You know, all of the men, fighting men, are out of action. They're on the plains of Jericho. And look at verse 1. God has already provided the security that they'll need because he's already put in place the fact that the enemy won't attack them during that time. As soon as the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. So God's provided for the thing that he's commanded them to do, even before he commanded it or they did it. He set that time aside for them to recover. And we hear, don't we, in verse um, 8, when the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. Even though the Lord has got them to this point, it would be easy for them to think that they must take things from here. So yes, we understand God's done the saving bit. We are his people. But there might be the thought of, well, it's our job from here on in. We've come through the Jordan. That was the bit we couldn't do. Fighting the people, yeah, we can do that. But he's teaching them. He's showing them in this very, very real experience and this real way that they need to trust him to provide. And the first thing he says is, Trust me to provide um, in this area. And he shows them, doesn't he? He provides for them the time that is needed to recover. Because actually the danger that they face, the real danger is not Jericho or Canaan. It's actually the warning of this generation. So if you look in verse 6, the previous generation is a warning to them. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war, who came up out of Egypt, perished. Because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give to, the, to them. A, a land flowing with milk and honey. The danger is not the outside threat, but actually the fact that they could completely stop trusting God. And not trust his provision. And so he's showing them through this experience that he will provide for them. And he's going to continue to provide for them. So it's, it's reinforced again through these meals. So if you look in with me in verse 10. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month, in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So the second way God's, the second experience, if you like, that God's using to show his ongoing provision is meals. These two meals. And so after Israel have recovered from the circumcision, the ne- very next thing they are to do is to enjoy the Passover, to observe this, this annual festival, this feast, with the bread that he had been giving them. And um, what's the Passover? Well, the Passover is remembering what God did in Egypt, isn't it? So the way that God instructed the people to, to kill a lamb, 
to eat it, and the blood of that lamb to be above their doorposts, so that the angel of the Lord would pass over them when the judgment came on Egypt. That they would not die, but they would be spared. And through that, that God was going to bring about their salvation, rescue them out of Egypt. So this is the next thing that he's, he's, he's getting them to do. That they, they do together. And it's a reminder to them that the relationship started with God and not with them. But it's also a sign of his provision, isn't it? In verse 11, their Passover meal is followed the very next day. So if you look in verse 11, and the next day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. So the meal following the one that looks back to God's rescue is the one that is the foretaste of everything that they are going to enjoy in the land. And we know, don't we, from verse 12, that that is the exact time when the manna, which was the bread that provided, God provided for them miraculously through the wilderness, it, it comes to an end. So there hasn't been a day when God hasn't provided for them. So there's not going to be a day to come where God is not going to provide for them in a very practical way. And it's with this meal. So their trust in his provision is got to be based on, on that, isn't it? He, he is a, a loving God. He has provided for us. And he will continue to provide. But why is it so important that they trust his provision? You know, they could, they could trust it or they, they might not. But why is that important? Well, it's important, isn't it, because of the, the previous generation. What was, what was the issue there? They didn't trust God. And they stopped trusting his provision. And they started looking to other things to provide for them. And that was the problem there. And it's important, actually, for us, isn't it? Because we don't find this easy. You might be someone who's been a Christian for young, donkey's years or, or just became a Christian yesterday. And yet, you, you know, the daily thing of trusting God. He knows what you need. That he will give you what you need. And particularly in the area of obedience. So the previous generation, they got to the point where God said, go into the land. And, and that was the point where it was costly. And the trust wasn't there. And at the point where it's costly is where God commands us. He, he gives us commands. And he says, you've got to trust me. <laughs> obedience and trust go hand in hand, don't they? So if God says this and we, we do what he says that's us trusting him whereas to not do what he says is to not trust him um, and actually if we look elsewhere for our provision it causes us to sin doesn't it so it leads us into all kinds of things where we, we fix things for ourselves or we, we make a way for ourselves but there's so many compromises along the way and so we end up completely step walking in sin and temptation, giving in to temptation. So we've seen the example in this passage of this, the previous generation who had seen God work powerfully. So <laughs> this is a generation who had seen everything that the others had seen, right? They'd seen God powerfully part the Red Sea. They'd seen uh, all of the plagues that fell on Egypt. 
They'd seen it all. They'd seen God's power and his provision, and yet they still didn't trust him to provide for them for the future. And, and, and friends, that is exactly the same thing that we battle with, isn't, is it not? I mean, we know that God has done mighty things in salvation, that he has he's given his own son, that Jesus was dead, he gave up his life for us, that he rose again. And yet the, the thought of whether God is with us and he, will, he knows what we need today or for the future is just a constant question in our minds, isn't it? We keep on doubting him. Despite all God had done for them, they distrusted him to continue to provide. You'll find this wilderness generation in quite a lot of New Testament passages. Um, so if you'd like to send your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. They really are, they do become the, the example that's picked up in the New Testament of those who had seen what God had done for them and yet did not trust him, did not believe. In uh, 3 verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wealth, they shall never enter my rest. And then the exhortation here is, take care, brothers, lest any of you have an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ, if, it, if indeed we hold our original conf- confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not, those with, uh, was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would never enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. The other passage is 1 Corinthians 10, so if you want to turn to that. And it's actually before Hebrews, so you go back. Uh, 10 verse 1. I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank, drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as, as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened uh, to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. 
No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So the first one we read in Hebrews is a warning against complacency. A person who says, well, I don't need others really in the Christian life. I don't need the encouragement of other people when they stop meeting together. That's a danger, isn't it? Complacency. And, and looking to other things and trusting in perhaps themselves to meet that need. And the issue in this passage is idolatry. And that's the thing of looking elsewhere for that provision. And not trusting God to provide, you, you're going to have to look somewhere else. And maybe that's um, your own, what your own hand has made. You know, they worshipped the things their hands had made, didn't they? they, they you, you'd think it, it sounds really ridiculous to, to see it as a, as a carved image but, or a carved uh, statue, but it's the same thing as, you know, I've made my career, I've made my success, and that's the thing that's going to provide for me. And so there is a real... That generation, that wilderness generation of being used here as an example to us of the alternative of trusting God and his provision. Um, the issue now is the issue, same issue then, and my heart is constantly telling me that it's, it's me who gives me what I think I, most, I need most in life. And uh, we're going to start to think about what this means for us. So, so those two things, the fact that it's essential, the relationship with God is essential, that's what we see in the circumcision, and the fact that he provides for them and will continue to provide for them and that they can trust his provision. That's what they need. Um, perhaps you're someone who would have called yourself a Christian in the past, and yet if you're honest, you can see that you spent a lot of your time recently looking elsewhere in life to other things to provide for you. And maybe that's led you to do all sorts of things that you just know were wrong. But you did them anyway. Maybe you're a Christian, but for some time you've been living with the assumption that God saved me, yes. But now it's up to me. It's all down to me. That's pride, isn't it? And God's speaking to that pride and saying, no, you can't live a day, a single day without me. You need me to provide for you. Trust me, I will. Perhaps you're a believer and you've seen already in your Christian life that obedience to Jesus is costly and risky. The people, let me tell you, the people who were having this meal could have said, that's too risky. And yet, what they experienced as they stepped out and trusted God was that God provided for them in that situation. And yet, that, the danger, isn't it, when we're Christians, is to think that obedience to Jesus is going to, we're going to be left high and dry. That, that, that we get into that situation with you know, the, the management in work because of what we believe, or, or we get into that situation and we're going to be strung out to dry, uh, strung out to whatever it's called. Um, and that, that God is not going to provide for us in that situation. So we sort of do this kind of thing where obedience is. We just think, I, I can't be obey you in that God. That's just too risky. That's too costly. 
And yet here we get a wonderful example, don't we, of what happens when the people of God do follow in obedience. And you'd think that they would be completely out at sea, and yet God is there providing for them. He's already, in fact, provided for them in advance of this. So when you, will fa- when you know you're going to face abuse from your friends, or perhaps your family, or they're just going to be sidelined by people, um, or on more extreme cases, you might end up losing your job as a Christian. Obedience to Jesus seems costly then. No, let's be honest, it seems absurd. And yet that's exactly the same as it was for, for Israel. It seems absurd. But what does this passage say to us to help? It says that even before God commands something and calls us to be obedient, he has already provided what is needed in our obedience. He's already provided that. Even before the command for circumcision that would immobilise the whole army, God had already immobilised Jericho out of fear. And we'll read in in chapter 6, verse 1, that actually they've shut the city gates. No one goes in, no one comes out. They're not going to pose them a threat because God's in charge. So we can have confidence that obeying God is not going to leave us without any defences. It might feel like that. It might feel really costly and risky. And yet God will provide. He will. He's been providing all the way from when he brought us out of sin. What's to say that he's not going to provide for us in this? So trust him and walk in obedience with him. And we need to encourage each other to do that as well, don't we? We need to come and to be with each other. And one clear example of obedience in this passage is actually that the people are together, aren't they? Where are they? They're together on the plains of Jericho, sitting and eating together and sharing this meal that reminds them of what God did in Egypt. So actually, it's just a picture of church, isn't it? Coming together, gathering together to encourage one another to see God's faithfulness, what he has done for us and how he can be trusted. And we do that as a, when we gather together as a church. And I think obedience in this particular area, I mean, I'm talking to the people who are in the room, okay? But I think obedience, obedience in this particular area is going to be costly because it will require your time when there's plenty of other things you could be doing. Um, it will require um, sometimes your money when you could spend that on other things. And if your time feels stretched between your work and your studies and commitments to family, obedience is going to be costly. And yet here, what we get is also a wonderful foretaste of what's to come. So the people are sat on the plains of Jericho eating the fruit of the land. God's saying, look, see what I've done. Here, enjoy a a foretaste of the blessings that are to come. And that's exactly what he gives us when we meet together on Sundays. And throughout the week. What are we going to spend eternity doing? Enjoying him and enjoying each other. So this is a down payment. God is saying, you know, this is the starter. Just wait till you get the main course. Um, and, and that's exactly what he does here. So, so we think obedience is just going to be, oh, I have to do it. It's going to be really hard. It's going to be costly, but, but it's not going to be. It's going to be miserable. But 
obedience to God brings massive blessing, doesn't it? And, and that's what we see here, a wonderful glimpse of what's to come. The people can even sit in the midst of their enemies. Have you heard that psalm, Psalm 23, that says, um, he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. He leads me through the valley of death and he prepares a table for me in the midst of my enemies. That's David writing, and David had plenty of enemies. And I'm thinking he's reflecting on Joshua 5, where the people of God sat down and enjoyed a meal in the presence of their enemies. They could see Jericho, the archers on the tower, but God was with them. And they got a glimpse, a foretaste of his wonderful provision, that they can trust him, that he will continue to provide for them. Uh, So can I just encourage you and um, let's encourage each other with this. That when it's it's a question of obedience and it looks so costly and risky, but God will provide. And if that's in the area of church on Sundays, um, your your work, whatever it is, um, why don't you just see that in obedience God will provide? Test him, see, test him on this and just watch. See what he does. Should we pray? Father God, we do thank you that uh, for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he uh, is the one who brings this new identity to us. Um, In the passage, Joshua is the one who acts in obedience on behalf of the people. In fact, it says that he circumcised the people. Um, I'm sure he didn't have time to be the only one doing it but is attributed to him. And uh, as your people, we, uh, we thank you that Jesus' obedience um, leads to our new identity in you, to this renewed relationship, to this wonderful provision that will not end, and to that relationship with you and each other. Thank you for a foretaste of what's to come. Um, thank you that church really is that foretaste uh, where we get to gather together and uh, remind each other of your faithfulness and uh, your promises. Uh, please, would that excite us? Would that be something that we see as, as uh, worthy of our obedience, worthy of our um, time? Uh, would you please help us to, uh, to be those who will keep walking with you? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.